Falls. Seems to me that there's been a lot of talk about walls lately. I don't know if you've noticed that. And honestly, I'm pretty sure that in my entire lifetime, there has never been a point in our nation's history where the walls have been so well-defined and groups of people have been so clearly separated and groups of people have been so clearly labeled. You're either conservative or you're liberal. You're either young or you're old. You're either black or you're white or you're Hispanic or you're Asian or you're some other uh, race or nationality. You, you are defined and labeled in terms of uh, your gender, you are defined and labeled in terms of your sexual preferences, you are defined and labeled in terms of your wealth or lack of wealth, you are defined and labeled in terms of whether you live in a red state or a blue state, and it goes on and on and on and on, and the walls are everywhere, and we live in the tension of a culture and a community in which most of us have a pretty good idea which categories we fit in and which camps are our camps and which camps are not our camps. And the walls are just up everywhere. Everybody I know has a strong opinion about this idea of building a wall along the border of the United States. I'm sure you have a strong opinion. I don't want to hear it. Please don't share it with me. <laughs> but most of us have proven in our lives that we are more than willing to contribute to building walls. The walls that are all around us, they got built by somebody. Walls in our own lives. Walls that we help to build. Walls that, in many cases, we're still building today, brick by brick, stone by stone, separating ourselves from others often separating ourselves from people who have hurt us, from people who we have deemed uh, not worth the trouble anymore. We build them for our own protection, build them just for our own peace of mind, our own sanity sometimes, or maybe just to feel a little bit better, we build them. And some of us are in the midst of building those walls right now in our lives. But more often than not, we're not actively building walls so much as we are just uh, busily ignoring the walls that are all around us and pretending they're not there and trying to work around them and convincing ourselves that um, they don't cost anything to have them there. President-elect Trump has been very clear in saying he's going to build a wall along the border. And the interesting thing is he's going to make Mexico pay for it. I still haven't heard word one about how he plans to do that. But here's what I know about walls. Somebody pays for them. Actually, everybody pays for them. The people on both sides of the walls, they pay for the walls. The expense is shared between everybody involved. It always costs to build walls. Whether we're building our walls of anger, we're building our walls of fear or hatred or disrespect or jealousy or bitterness or prejudice or shame, whatever it is that makes up the, the, the rocks in our walls, they cost so much to build. 
And every day that they remain, they cost even more. But we dare not tear them down because we fear what might happen if we did. And even if we wanted the walls to come down, we usually feel like it would mean that the person on the other side of the wall would need to do something to tear it down, and we know that's never going to happen, so we just sort of live with the wall and pretend it's not that big of a deal. But one of the surprising things about these walls that go up between people is that while I'm on my side of the wall and just with my arms crossed leaning against the wall, there's somebody on the other side of the wall with his arms crossed leaning against the wall too. Separated by inches. Separated by miles. To them, on the other side of the wall, it seems to them like the wall's there because you want it there. After all, they've seen you adding bricks to it. And they figure you want, you want it there. If you wanted to take it down, you would have done something to take it down by now. And you're sitting on your side going, if they wanted it down, they would have done something to take it down by now. And both of us have our arms crossed and nothing is happening and the wall continues to be there. And so everybody figures there's not much that can be done about it. We push away the pain. And we don't think about the broken relationships, and we busy ourselves with other things, and then it always happens, you hear a song on the radio, it reminds you of a person, and pretty soon the emotions come flooding back, or uh, you watch a Hallmark movie, that'll do it to you every time, <laughs> or, or you hear a Christmas sermon, or, or God forbid somebody posts one of those little videos on, on uh, the internet where you see people that are being reconciled to one another after some distance apart and your heart just sort of shrivels inside of you and you're reminded about the walls. And most of us have learned how to keep those feelings at bay. Most of us have learned how to quiet those voices and control our conscience. The interesting thing is that in the midst of all of this unforgiveness, the sad thing is, the, the ironic thing is, that forgiveness is at the heart of Christianity. I mean, the heart of the gospel is forgiveness, isn't it? And reconciliation is what the gospel is all about. And we ignore that. And then something comes along and happens that won't let us ignore it anymore. And I don't know how happy you're going to be about this, but I'm just going to tell you, I'm the something this time. I've come along to interrupt your comfort with the walls and to make you rethink why you built them in the first place and whether they really ought to be there. How many of you um, love to listen to Christmas music this time of year? Yes, Coast 103 or one of those things, right? Yep. Um, yeah, so here's the thing. If, I'll tell you something if you don't tell anybody. I like Christmas music too. And, and I don't tell people because it's not manly to like Christmas music. I know that. So, so you know, if, if a buddy gets in the car to go to lunch with me, we'll put on either sports talk or rock and roll. But um, 
every time my wife gets in the car from the day after Thanksgiving until the day after New Year's, there's Christmas music on. I have a, I have a preset in my car for Christmas music um, because that's how I keep from being divorced. <laughs> my wife gets in the car, the Christmas music goes on, and then I tend to look at her and roll my eyes at the songs that we're listening to as if I don't really like it. Don't tell her. But, but there are some Christmas songs that just, the lyrics grab you, and you go, yes, this is what Christmas is all about. Listen to this one. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that just put you in the Christmas spirit and make you want to just bow down at the manger and worship at the feet of the baby Jesus? Or how about this one? I have bad news for you. That song is going to be around forever, and the reason is every Christmas there's a new group of six-year-olds, and so you're going to have to hear that one again. Um, I did find you one, though, that was by one of America's great um, musicians, so I want you to hear this one. Sorry, sorry. Michael Jackson, you know? <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, I saw a mommy kissing Santa Claus. It just makes you just want to join in with the angels and sing, doesn't it? Um, so I do listen to the Christmas station, and the reason I do, though, is not those songs. Those are the ones that I look at my wife and go, seriously? But in the mix, you do get... Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, and Christmas becomes Christmas. And, and you, you do get some incredible soprano singing, oh, holy night, and belting the, the notes, and, and you're just enraptured, and you go, wow, to think that there were angels singing better than that? Christmas. One of my favorite Christmas songs of all time. We did it uh, for worship last week and the week before that, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I, you know, it, it just encapsulates the Christmas message really, really well. Um, and you have been hearing it and you have been singing it your whole life. I mean, I don't care how old you are. You have been singing it your whole life. It was written by Charles Wesley in 1793. No, 1739. I know Bo was looking at me like, no, I was around in 1793, and I don't, I don't think we had that one yet. 1739. 
And we don't usually think about the lyrics to some of these songs. When we sing them, it's just Christmas. They come out, we hear the tune, and we sing, and we don't stop and think about the lyrics. I just want you to actually have to look with your eyes at some of the lyrics from this amazing Christmas hymn. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconcile. God and sinners reconciled. That's it. That's the Christmas message in a nutshell. That's what the story is. That there's this immense wall of separation called sin between a holy God and sinful people, and he loves those sinful people in spite of their sin, and he looks at the wall and he says, I will remove the wall at any cost. And he pays the highest price possible so that God and sinners can be reconciled. That's what Christmas is about. Most of us have heard that before. A lot of us as Christians believe that. For many of us, we've, we've sort of rooted our life in that truth. And it's been transformational for us. And we get that. We understand. This is the Christmas message. God and sinners reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. We like it. We, we have no problem with it. But sinners and sinners reconciled? Well, there's a twist. That's a whole different ballgame because we all have long lists of 25 or more reasons why the wall has been built and why it's better for me to stay on my side of the wall and them to stay on their side of the wall. And... Our list goes on and on and on. He does not deserve my forgiveness. She doesn't do anything to try to make it right. He hasn't even apologized yet. I mean, how do you even move to forgiveness when you don't have an apology? She's not even looking for reconciliation. If I did everything, it would just fall on deaf ears. They, they're not interested. We've got our reasons, as the video said. We've all got a long list of reasons for the walls. But I'm going to ask you to think about it from a slightly different angle. Have you ever thought about God's long list of reasons why he shouldn't reconcile with you? Did Jesus come to die because we deserve his mercy? <laughs> Did he wait for me to clean up my life before he said, okay, I'll respond to the moves that you've made? Did, did he come and pay the price for some of my sins, you know, the, the little sins, the, the little white lies and maybe some, some poor judgment calls in college and that sort of thing, but not, not the big stuff, not... Not murder, not adultery, not rape, not all of these horrible sins. Did he just die for the little ones and not the big ones? We have all given God a huge list of reasons why he should not reconcile with us. And the truth is that for God to reconcile with us cost him so much more than a handshake. It cost him so much more 
than a card or a letter at Christmas. It cost him so much more than an awkward phone call that he really didn't want to make. It cost him more than the price of a plane ticket to remove the miles that separate us so we can sit face to face and have a chance to be restored. It cost him so much more. And Christmas reminds us that he was willing to pay an enormous price to tear down the walls that separate him from us and in so doing to tear down the walls that separate us from one another. And yet when it comes to sinner to sinner reconciliation, for many of us, it just seems too costly, frankly. It, it's just like, well, I'm not really willing to pay that price. Not to be reconciled to him. After all he's done to me. But listen to what God did to tear down the wall. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Colossians. New Testament. We just finished a study in Ephesians. If you can find Ephesians, it's two books to the right. I want you to find Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to guess you've never heard a Christmas sermon preached from Colossians chapter 1. But we're going to try it today. And I just want us to glance in in the middle of Paul's discussion here. And we're going to pick it up in verse 19. And he's talking about the father's decision to send his son. And here's what he says. Colossians 1.19, For it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. It's talking here about the deity of Christ the fullness of his divinity. In other words, God didn't just send an angel to rescue us. An angel would not be capable of rescuing us. He didn't just send, you know, a message to us. He didn't just send a messenger to us. He sent his only son. He sent himself to us. And, and let us know this for sure. Because every time we look at one of these manger scenes that we see all around this time of year, and we see this little plastic or wooden or ceramic or whatever baby Jesus lying in a manger, and we have that sort of, isn't he cute feeling, let's remember, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the one who spoke and the universe came into existence. He's the one who has always been and always will be. He is God, and he came and put on flesh. And became one of us. Not like one of us. He didn't just come to us. He became one of us. And so he's the only one in all of history with this dual nature. Where he is both 100% God and at the same time 100% human. And he has the full human experience that you and I have right from the womb onward. And he sent his son. And it says that it was his good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him, Jesus, to, there's our word again, reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That, that it was his good pleasure to reconcile us to himself, and in order to do that, he had to send his son. Why? So he could bleed on a cross. And, and we've been talking about this. To, to make the mistake of separating Christmas 
And Good Friday and Easter is a huge mistake. It's all one package. He came and was laying in a manger so he could be hung on a cross, so he could raise on the third day and ascend to the right hand of the Father and rule and make, make, a, make a way for us. And so all of that comes together. He came in order to bleed. And I love the way one of my favorite ancient theologians, I know we all have ancient favorite ancient theologians, right? One of my favorite ancient theologians is a guy named Athanasius. And Athanasius wrote this great little treatise called On the Incarnation that, that helps us to understand the theological significance of God becoming man. And he just, he just gets it down to this one little nugget that, that I chew on every year at Christmas, and you have to hear me say it every year at Christmas. It says that he became one of us so that he could borrow death as God unable to die. He had to become man so that he could borrow death so he could spend it to buy our pardon. Wow. I guess he didn't like the wall. And then he goes on. And he says in verse 21, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. I told you, this is going to mess with your Christmas festivity. You're not going to go out of here with a spring in your step, whistling a happy tune, even though that mommy kissing Santa Claus is playing in my head even as we speak. Um, because God's going to Stick his finger in your face just a little bit. He says here that we were alienated from him. The, the root word there, alien. We were aliens to God. Unreachable, untouchable, impossible to relate to because of our sin. And it goes on, we were hostile in mind. That, that it wasn't just that we were indifferent toward God. Listen, don't ever tell yourself, listen, I'm just indifferent toward God. I'm just not that interested in God. The, the scripture says that every one of us, because of our sin, is actually an enemy of God. We are hostile toward him. It's a strong word. It just happens to be true. And then he says, engaged in evil deeds. And you go, that's where I draw the line. I make some mistakes. I know I do some dumb things. But evil deeds... Like, I don't, I don't go and hurt people. I, I don't murder. I don't, I don't, you know. And not only that, but I don't have a beef with God. I, I, I may not be a, a religious person, but, but I have no problem with God. Well, he says you do. Engaged in evil deeds. And here's the issue. Jesus points out in Matthew 25 that if you have a problem with people, you have a problem with God. Because he says, whatever you've done to the least of these people, you have done it unto who? Him. So, so you don't get to say, listen, God, you and I, we're going to be okay. We're, we're going to be good. But, um, you know, that guy that lives next door with the loud music and all that stuff, I can't deal with that guy anymore. God says, you got a problem with him, 
you got a problem with me. Alienated, evil deeds. See, if I have guilt in my relationship with another person, I have guilt toward God. If I have mistreated another person, even if I thought they deserved it, I have mistreated God. That's an evil deed. And all of us are guilty of that. We have all thrown our share of stones. We have all built our share of walls, right? Right? Okay, just make it sure. And Paul doesn't stop there. Look at verse 22. Yet he has now reconciled. There's our word again. He has now reconciled you in his fleshly body, which he had to borrow so that he could do this. He, he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Beyond reproach, without blame. He says we, you, me, people like us, can be without blame. Why? Because he sent his son who took on flesh so he could bleed on a bloody cross. To die for us. And we can be beyond accusation because of that. And as Christians, we have been reconciled to God. And if you've been a Christian for more than seven or eight minutes, you've had to be re-reconciled to God again and again and again and again because we still struggle with this flesh and we still continue to go our own way even though we know that we're supposed to follow after him. And so he gives us a way to just be reconciled to him. And it's like what in John chapter 1 it says, grace upon grace. Not just that we receive grace to be saved, but we receive grace to walk in on a daily basis, reconciled and re-reconciled and re-reconciled and re-reconciled. There's this reconciliation process always going on, and God is the author of it. So if God asked you, if you're a Christian and God asked you, hey, are we okay? Everything, everything all right between you and me? The answer, the theologically correct answer would be yes. I'm okay with you, God. Because of what Jesus has done, he's paid the price. He has made us okay. My vertical relationship is all lined up. It's all good. Jesus has made things right between us and God. As Christians, because of the gift of grace, we bank on that reconciliation every moment of every day. Somebody say amen. amen. God and sinners reconciled. It's the message of Christmas. And you see, to the Jews in Jesus' day, and really to, to religious people of all time, name your religion, and I'll show you how this works in their system. But in every religious system, the idea is somehow find a way to get right with your deity. Somehow you got to make sure that you appease your deity. And if that means sacrifices or, or whatever it means, religious ritual, you do whatever you have because, because you have to get right with your deity. you got to get that vertical relationship right. And if you could just get that vertical relationship right, it's all okay. You don't have to worry so much about the horizontal relationships. But Jesus comes along and says, listen, this is not just another religious system. I'm talking about the way I designed you to live. And to have your vertical relationship right is to have your horizontal relationships right. They go together. As long as there is 
some way for things to be right between me and God, then it will be okay? If things are right between you and God, he's going to start working on the issues between you and people. And Jesus explained that. As much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. He, he even went so far in, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, listen, to these Jewish listeners, he said, let's say you're coming to the, to the altar to bring your offering, which they're required to do to be right with God. And you, you come to bring your offering, and there as you come in, you remember that your brother has something against you. He said, leave your offering, go to your brother and make it right with your brother, and then come back and worship God. That's how big a priority it is to Jesus. God didn't tear down the wall between us so that we could keep building walls between us and others. He reconciled us to himself, and he provides a way for us to be reconciled to one another because if God and sinners can be reconciled, then how can it be that sinner and sinner cannot be reconciled? And, I, and I'm just shaking up your whole day here because you're going to have to deal with this in your heart because we justify the broken relationships and the walls that we build and they all make perfect sense to us. And we look and say, there's nothing that can be done about it. It's not my fault. Even if it was, it can't be fixed now. And I'm saying that God looked at the wall of sin and looked at us and said, I will find a way to reconcile them to myself. And if God and sinners can be reconciled, then sinner and sinner can certainly be reconciled. Amen. So here's the amazing offer that God makes us this Christmas. First, if the wall is still standing between you and God, it doesn't have to stand for one more moment. Because it's not about works, it's not about religious ceremonies, it's not about any of those things, it's about grace. He's already done what it takes to tear down the wall that stands between you and him. The question is, will you accept it? Will you allow him to remove the remnant of the wall that exists between you and him? He's already paid the price. And you go, well, you know, of course, who wouldn't do that? Most people. Most people, for all of time, would rather have the wall. But the gospel of Christmas is that God looks at you in all of your need and says that empty thing, that empty hole in your heart that you're trying to fill with this and this and this and this and this and nothing fits, fill it with me and I'll make the way. All you have to do is say yes and follow. It's, it's not a matter of action on your part. It's a matter of submission to his action. Second thing, this same God who went so far to tear down the wall between you and him, he's willing to go really far to help you tear down the wall between you and somebody else. Really far. And it happens exactly the same way, through forgiveness, through grace. Mercy, kindness, love. That's what tears down the walls. And God just wants to pour a pitcher of that stuff all over the walls that we've built and just watch them disintegrate under the weight of his mercy. And he wants to bring reconciliation to us. 
and reconciliation between us. By His grace, Jesus gives you the power to write the letter that you know you need to write and haven't written yet. By His grace, He gives you the power to extend the Christmas invitation that you used to extend every year but haven't extended now for a while. By His grace, He gives you the power to send that Christmas card with a note that says, hey, I'm feeling terrible about the way things are going between us and I'd like to sit down and talk about it. By His grace, He gives you the wherewithal to step up and buy the plane ticket if necessary to bring two people together who would never come together if you don't take that step. And I know what some of you are thinking. Listen, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm not trying to be trite. I understand. I got my own walls. Believe me. And I know what some of you are thinking because the same thing I would be thinking if I was sitting where you're sitting. You're thinking, it won't make any difference. I can write a letter. I can send a, make a phone call. It's not going to make any difference. They won't take my call. I know. I understand. You know, I could do this, but I'm really putting myself at risk. What if they don't reciprocate? I know they're not going to reciprocate. You're probably right. They're never going to apologize, and if they don't apologize, we have no place to start. Maybe. But none of that is your concern. The Scripture says, inasmuch as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. You don't get to control anybody else, but He commands you to reach out to everybody else. And, and, and if we're going to get really honest about this, and this is about the time that some of you are going, I can't believe I came today. <laughs> but if we're going to get really honest about this, Let's look at ourselves and, and admit that a whole bunch of us have spent a lot of time with God more in our rearview mirror than anywhere else, right? Where, where we, we've been introduced to the Lord, introduced to the gospel, but, but we took some turns that he wasn't going to take with us, and now, now he's in the distance behind us, and we're sort of out plowing our own way, and a lot of us know what that's like. And you weren't looking for Jesus as you drove away into your own plan. But he was looking for you, wasn't he? For me, um, I was five years old when I was first introduced to the gospel in a clear way. I wasn't raised by parents who wanted to teach me the gospel. And, but here's what happened. I was a kid in the 60s. And in the 60s, there were these rickety old buses that came into your community, and they, they had bald tires, and they were driven by some old guy with his eyes going in two different directions. It looked a little shaky. And they just came up, knocked on your door, and said, hey, give us your small children. We're going to take them to the other side of town, indoctrinate them with our religious beliefs, and bring them back this afternoon. And all the parents said, okay. And they put us on those buses. I'm not kidding you. 
right? If you lived in my area, you know what I'm talking about. And we got on those buses and we drove to this Baptist church all the way across town and we got there and we met these ladies who, you know, put up with us and told us about the love of Jesus and explained about heaven and hell, which seemed like a very simple choice to me. And, and I said, yeah, I want to go to heaven. And I prayed that prayer. And and then as soon as my parents stopped making me get on that bus, I stopped getting on that bus because there's always something for a kid to do on a Sunday. And I left God in the rearview mirror until I was a teenager. And my life hit the dirt. And it crashed. And I was helpless and hopeless and had no idea what to do. And I heard the voice of Jesus again. And I remembered the gospel that I had heard before. And nobody told me this time. I just remembered from before. And I got on my knees all by myself. And I cried out to God and I said, I believe. Take my life. And I've been enjoying that Christmas gift ever since. But most of us have some kind of story like that where God's been in the rearview mirror and we've been driving where we want to drive. See, God hasn't given up on us, has he? He, he doesn't rescind his offer of grace just because you ignore it for a while, right? And yet, that's our excuse for not offering grace to others. Well, I tried and they didn't want to talk about it. They'll, they'll never respond. Listen, the vast majority of people who have walked on this planet have not responded to the grace of Jesus Christ. And he went to the cross for them anyways. He became human just so he could die for people, many of whom still ignore his amazing grace to this day. And so here's the great message of Christmas. God doesn't stop pursuing reconciliation He tears down the walls. And on Christmas, all followers of Jesus get to celebrate an offer that many of us spent years not accepting. And now that we've accepted the offer, it's transformed our lives and will continue to transform our lives for eternity. I, don't, even, don't even look this up. I just, just listen. I just want... To remind you what God did. Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house of the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. You may have heard this story. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Not just the people on your side of the wall. All the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Did you catch it? On earth peace among men. Peace among men. Christmas doesn't just mean peace with God. It means peace among men. Peace with God changes everything. Peace with God opens doors that were closed forever before that. Peace with God transforms our lives so that we are able to enter into peace with men. That is a gift of Christmas. And I have two questions in light of that truth. First, have you experienced the breaking down of the wall between you and God? Because if not, there's no reason to wait one more moment. It's just a matter of saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I built this wall. I get it. It's all my doing. Yes, Lord, I I believe that you sent your son to be the sacrifice that would pay the price for my sin. Yes, Lord, I want to be reconciled to you. Yes, Lord, I lay down my life. I will submit to you and I will walk with you. Yes, Lord, I want to have the life that you paid such a price to give to me. Yes, Lord, I want to be reconciled. And then it's a matter of just walking in that reconciliation because he's already done the rest. If you haven't done that yet, do it today. Second question. Since God offers us the gift of reconciliation, who are we to withhold the same offer from other people? Here's the challenge for you this Christmas. Will you be willing to demonstrate what you celebrate? God and sinners reconciled. Let's stand and pray together.